Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we do thank you so very, very much for this holy Sabbath day and for the opportunity we have to come together and praise thy name with song to speak to you from our hearts and to study from your holy word. Father, we lift up before you those who are going through these storms down in Mexico and Texas. We pray uh, earnestly, Lord, that you be very near to them and their families and that the Holy Spirit can do his work in their hearts, that they may be lifted up to thee. We pray for uh, Roland and especially for his mother. Uh, We pray that you be very near to her in that situation. And uh, Lord, you know what's best there. We pray for your will to be done. Be with those who couldn't be with us this morning. We pray that you be uh, near them, send angels to uh, walk with them and uh, lead them in the paths of righteousness. Uh, Father, we we accept Jesus as our Savior and our Lord. We ask forgiveness as we claim his blood this morning. Forgive us of our sins. Help us to press together. Time is short and help us to hasten the Lord's return. And Lord, please give me the words to speak today. We are going to be speaking out of your word and and studying some very important things, uh, some very foundational things. And uh, we pray that uh, you give me the words to speak. In Jesus' name we ask for these things. Amen. Well, this is the time of year that uh, many cultures and religions remember or celebrate what they call the dead. They celebrate the dead. You see it celebrated not just in this country, do you? You see it all around the globe by uh, thousands and thousands of people, if not millions of people. Uh, What is the source of such a celebration? How did it get ingrained into the cultures around the world? Where did it originate, this celebration of the dead? Well, the basis of this celebration actually can be traced back to the Garden of Eden. The serpent invented the basis of this holiday, you would call it. It's called around the world. But he, he invented it right there in the Garden of Eden. Or let's say he introduced it, might be a better way of saying it. Genesis 3, chapter 1 says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye should not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, What? Ye shall not surely die. In the Hebrew, it's dying, you shall not die, which is very interesting. Um, But he said, you will not die. And this celebration of the dead rests upon the serpent's uh, fabrication there in the garden. And it is actually known as spiritualism. Now, I'm not going to speak directly about the actual holiday of the devil, you know, Halloween, uh, so for those who want to know more, more about the history of that celebration uh, of the dead, uh, those on, online can go to the church site. There's a link. I've got pamphlets here uh, that to go through the history of it. Um, or if you contact us, we'll send a tract out to you. I want to talk more about the power or the beings that are behind the scenes of this heresy for it is definitely real. Now, some people know there is a real power. They know that. But they're ignorant as to the true source. And so you see the results of the superstitions and deceptions of their ignorance carried out on October 31st you know, and around that, that, that time frame. Some people don't believe that such powerful beings exist at all. And so I want to see what God's Word says about it. In speaking about the source of this evil power, Paul said in Ephesians 6 and verse 12, he said, For we wrestle not against what? Flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against people, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's why I've 
entitled this particular study, Rulers of Darkness. And friends, this describes here a power that is beyond us as human beings. That's why Paul said we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So it's beyond us. We have a powerful enemy. There are beings that rule the darkness of this world. And unless we cling to Jesus and we accept his continual saving power and recognize the enemy, that's a big thing. We're doomed to be deceived by these rulers of darkness. Paul says in 1 Timothy 4.1, he says that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Seducing spirits. What does seducing mean? Yeah, it's it's attracting, isn't it? It's touching something that you know within us that grabs our attention. It's seducing. He doesn't come in beating a, a drum with a and have a pitchfork and everything like he is our enemy. Who would accept that? That that's not being seduced, is it? But he says, in the latter times, and as we've studied in the afternoons on these Sabbaths and in the Bible prophecy, we believe that we are living in the latter times. Can we see it happening at a faster rate today? I think if we're honest, yes. Television and movie producers are promoting witchcraft and, and what's called necromancy. That's communicating with the dead. They're, they're, they're producing this at every turn. You, you turn on a television today and probably 90% of programs has spiritualism involved. It's remarkable. In fact, within the last few years, there have been an incredible increase of television programs involving these mediums. Virtually all television uh, programs outside of news, you know, uh, includes some form of spiritualism. Witches, mediums, vampires and werewolves. That's a big thing today, isn't it? A lot of movies and shows about that. They're going, going through. Hollywood is producing this at a rapid rate. Not to mention movies such as Harry Potter. We mentioned earlier Lord of the Rings. Um, Star Wars. Certain Disney films. Um, and the increase as well of the apparitions of that self-professed Virgin Mary. And I'll get to that a little bit later on. You know they're getting ready to release uh, a new Star Wars movie. You know what the title of it is? The Force Awakens. Isn't that interesting? They're going to release it in December. Have you ever heard someone say they are a force for good? Have you ever heard that expression before? What about a force for evil? Have you heard that expression? Are such things for real? Are there really such powerful beings of light and darkness? The Bible does teach that there are powerful spirit beings all around us. Spirits from other worlds, they do visit the earth. They are continually going back and forth and have sometimes been seen by humans. These visitors have the uncanny ability to appear and disappear at will. <laughs> it's a different dimension. They've interfered in the, the affairs of government, family, uh, personal lives. War. Huh? War. Yeah, war, absolutely. Who are these visiting spirits? Do they come as friends or do they come as enemies? For what purpose do they make a record of our best kept secrets we think we have secrets they know it all are they connected somehow with the hundreds of UFO sightings around the world just who are they in Hebrews 1 and verse 7 we read and of the angels he saith who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire now the Bible speaks about uh, spirits in a variety of different ways. Just as we use the word in our, our modern language, the Bible uses it that way. Sometimes an individual is described as a guiding spirit in the community. 
uh, alcohol is called what? Spirits. And imaginary ghosts are said to be spirits. In the same manner, the Bible refers to God as a spirit. And angels are called, we just read, ministering spirits. All through history, angels have been men's guardians and protectors. Hebrews 1.14 They've been our protectors sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation. The angels appeared often in the ministry of Christ on earth. From the first announcement of His birth, you remember? To the time of His ascension. Weren't there angels involved? Yes. And although we may not be conscience, uh, conscious of the constant presence of angels in our lives, we may know for sure that we are always under their watch care. We studied last week about the judgment. There is a record of our life, our thoughts, words, and deeds. Who is keeping the records? Who's writing this stuff down? Angels of God. And with incredible speed and power, they hurry from heaven to earth to carry out God's biddings. I remember C.D. Brooks saying one time, Pastor Brooks, you know, talking about Daniel being thrown in the lion's den. And he said that guardian angel of Daniel was up in the throne room, zipped up there. God told him to get down there with Daniel, and he zipped back down before Daniel hit the floor. Now that's a dimension we can't comprehend, isn't it? How is that possible? One day we will be shown. We will know. Where did these angels originally come from? Well, the answer is found in Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. For by him were all things created. This is speaking of who? Jesus. By, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are, are, in, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? All things were created by Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. God created these creatures called angels. Sometime in the eternity of the past, before the creation of this world, they were formed by the power of God. Are there different kinds of angels? And if so, how many? Well, it's very interesting. Revelation 12, verse 7, which talks about this battle between good and evil. Remember, Revelation 12. It says, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels. Well, first off, who's Michael? There's a lot of confusion about that. Michael is a transliteration of the Hebrew name Michael, meaning who is like God. Michael is referred to as one of the chief princes in Daniel 10, as the great prince in Daniel 12, and also as the archangel in Jude 9. Archangel means chief or leader of the Monarch. angels. Pardon me? Monarch, head of... Monarch, yeah. Because the word angel means messenger, it is used very freely and broadly in Scripture. We need to understand that. Sometimes men are called angels in the Bible. 1 Samuel 29, Galatians 4. Um, sometimes angels are called men. Genesis 32. And in other places, God Himself is identified as an angel. Of course, even angels are called angels. <laughs> right? A careful examination of the Scriptures... Uh, uh, will show you that Michael points to the conclusion that he's none other than who Russ said he was. He's the Lord Savior Jesus Christ. Who's the dragon in this war? If you go a few more verses, Revelation 12 verse 9, and the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent, where did we read that before? There in the Garden of Eden, right? Called the devil and Satan which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Christ and his righteous angels, you see, fought against Satan and his unrighteous angels. And Satan with his angels was cast out of heaven to the earth. Jesus said, I saw Satan like lightning fall from heaven to the earth. 
So we see in these scriptures that there are currently two classes of angels, overall classes. Good angels and evil angels. Devilish angels. And apparently there are various types of good angels among the heavenly host. Psalm 99 and verse 1 describes specific angels around the throne of God. It says, The Lord reigneth, let the people tremble. He sitteth between the cherubims, let the earth be moved. A cherub, and cherubim actually is the plural. Uh, there shouldn't be an S added to it either, because cherubim is actually the plural. Um, But a cherub is a specific type of angel that is in the throne room of God ready to do his bidding. Isaiah chapter 6 speaks of seraphim, which is another type of angel. A seraphim has six wings, and they have added duties to perform as they are the royal guardians of the temple in heaven. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, which actually, literally it means the burning ones or the shining ones. Does that sound familiar? Each one had six wings. With twain, that would be two, He covered His face. With twain, Again, he covered his feet, and with twain he flew. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. That's in Isaiah. You find a similar description in Revelation. We find some angels spoken by name in the Bible. Gabriel, which signifies the strength of God an appropriate name for the angel or being who stands next to Christ, according to Daniel, Daniel 10. He's one of the original two, by the way, that stood next to God. Who was the other one? Lucifer. Lucifer. But he fell, didn't he? Lucifer. Interesting. The Hebrew word Hillel, literally meaning shining one, brilliant one, had been an angel around the throne of God before his fall. Then you have Uriel, which means the light of God. You have Ariel, which means the lion of God. And so there are certain angels that are spoken by name in God's word. I'm going to share this with you. This is from I.H. Evans. He wrote a book entitled Ministry of Angels, page 75. He says, What a comfort to know that the great heart of the Father of all has not only given to the very humblest of His children a guardian angel, But in times of special temptation, as many angels as may be needed to protect him from the assaults of the enemy are sent to his aid. These divine messengers are ever in touch with the throne of God. Thus the child of God, through the ministry of these holy beings, is ever in touch with the Father. No hour of temptation, no weakness, no trial, however great and seemingly unbearable, but the least of God's children can reach His throne by prayer through the ministry of these divine agents. The guardian angels can always come into the presence of God without delay. It's not like He has to go into the BMV and take a number and stand in line. Now how God does that, He's God. (laughs) Okay? There are no barred doors, no guarded gateways to hinder the entrance of the angels. To the messenger sent forth to minister to God's children, the presence chamber is ever open. That tells us something about God, doesn't it? You think there were angels that ministered to Christ while He was here? Absolutely. Do you think these angels wanted to step in and defend Christ? Absolutely those same angels want to step in and defend us. Do you realize that? And many times they do. (laughs) Angels are in close touch with members of the human family. They watch the movements of humanity very closely. They know our first names. They know our nicknames. They know our occupations. They know where we live. They know whether or not we pray or not. They know whether or not we support God's work. They know our sins done in secret. They know all these details. 
They record our thoughts, our words, our deeds and books that will be used as evidence in the judgment. Acts 10 tells how the angel of God came to Cornelius and told him that his prayers and his alms had come up as a sweet savor before God. The angel said there in Acts 10 verse 4, And when he looked up on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. This is the angel speaking. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. That angel knew an awful lot about Simon Peter. The angel knew Peter's given name. The angel knew his surname. The angel knew where he lived. The angel knew that Cornelius prayed. He knew that he gave alms to God. He knew all these things. The angelic beings know the same details about your life and my life. Our complete life record is open to them. Because they follow us from the cradle to the grave. Have you heard that expression? Now remember, we have two great hosts of beings. The good angels are ministering spirits. The wicked angels are spirits of devils. Rulers of darkness, we were told. One group is seeking our salvation. What's the other seeking? Our destruction. destruction. They want us destroyed. They They believe they own this planet. And they want it. And they want anybody in opposition to that, gone. And they'll do anything to get that. We read that Satan and his rebel followers, those angels, were cast out of heaven. They came to this earth to continue that great controversy that they started in heaven against God. Their goal has been to frustrate the plans of God in securing the salvation of humanity. They fight against the light of the world, Jesus Christ, and all who are followers of him. Jesus himself said, if the world hates me, it's going to hate you. It's it's like a law of physics, almost. Now I want to point out that heaven has done all it possibly can to save you and to save me from eternal death. Could God do more to save us? Think about that. And if we insist on losing our eternal salvation, it's going to be in spite of all that God's done to save us essentially from ourselves. All heaven is interested in our salvation, you see. It's not like the deist thing that God planted seeds here and then left and has never been seen again. He's intimately involved with our lives. He's a personal God. Angels from the throne of God are more anxious to see you make a full surrender to, to, to the Lord and prepare for your eternal life, I think, probably, than we are ourselves. Good angels seek our salvation. Evil angels seek our destruction. On which side are we going to cast our influence today? You see, so like Jesus said, you're given today. So you have to make choices, not yesterday, that's over with, not tomorrow, hasn't come yet, right? Today. See, beloved, we stand between the good and the bad. And our decision will determine who shall have the upper hand in our lives. Which nature do we feed? Do we feed the carnal nature or do we feed the divine nature? Who do we follow? The light of the world or the rulers of darkness? How can we tell them apart? Well, our only safeguard is to know and trust God's word. It's our only safeguard. It answers the questions and sheds light on the darkness. Psalms 119 verse 105, we know this. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. 
a light unto my path. Now there's no doubt Satan has commissioned an evil spirit or angel to attend us through life with the purpose of destroying us. We're actually told in inspiration more than one. Because I think it takes more than one to to do any harm when you have a guardian angel. (laughs) I think it takes more than one. That's just my, you know, my belief. So I think he he sends more than one for each one of us. And there's, according to the Bible, there are probably billions of angels. And they often do this through what is called this this work of theirs called spiritualism. What is spiritualism? Most dictionaries give this definition. A belief that spirits of the dead communicate with the living as through a medium. Now, Satan Satan used a medium there in the Garden of Eden, didn't he? What was the medium he used? The serpent. The serpent. Does Satan use a medium today? You think about that. It's from a devotional book called This Day with God. It says, Spiritualism is the masterpiece of deception. It is Satan's most successful and fascinating delusion, one calculated to take hold of the sympathies of those who have laid their loved ones in the grave. Evil angels come in the form of those loved ones and relate incidents connected with their lives and perform acts which they performed while living. Well, it would be hard if you didn't know the truth of of what happens when you pass away, the truth about death that the Bible tells us. You will be deceived by this. How could you not be deceived by it? They perfectly perform like that person that had passed away. What you remember of them. She says, in this way, they lead persons to believe that their dead friends are angels hovering over them and communicating with them. These evil angels who assume to be the deceased friends are regarded with a certain idolatry. And with many, their word has greater weight, excuse me, greater weight than the word of God. You see, because they've gone to the other realm. So they know more than I do. I haven't been there. Thus, men and women are led to reject the truth and give heed to seducing spirits. So I ask you, beloved, to consider this to to all extents, for spiritualism comes in many forms. And we need to check our will at the door of Christ. Amen. Keep our eyes focused upon the goal of His character, that character that's revealed in the Bible. What is the basis of the spiritualist doctrine. It's fundamentally rooted in the idea that the dead are not really dead. They're not dead at all, but living in some other world of higher wisdom. Haven't you ever noticed it's always a higher wisdom, a higher understanding, isn't it? Who'd be interested in a lower one, right? It's always higher. And let me tell you, spiritualism is also at the heart of the theory of evolution which teaches that all things get better. See, it's higher, it's better. It evolves to something better and better and better. It's always better. A a quick litmus test, let me share with you, to determine if if someone is deceived by, by spiritualism, is to see where they stand concerning, let's say, the current state of the world. Are all things getting better, or are they getting worse? I mean, just look, ask someone that. Is things getting better? I think everything's getting, it's... It's all positive. There's a little litmus test for you to get maybe better understanding where they're at. Now that isn't the tell-all test, is it? No, of course not. But in my experience, it's been it actually has been extremely accurate because evolution says it's better, not worse, because there is no God. See, and therefore there is no sin, so things get better. That's the whole evolutionary thought. We started out as slime and now look at us. See, we've evolved to where we're better and better and better. That is spiritualism. It denies God at the heart of it. It denies that there's sin. It denies that there's a law of God. 
Spiritualism teaches that darkness is actually light and light's actually darkness, you see. And one can be lifted into that higher wisdom whereby living to self for all good with we have we have all good within ourselves. Have you ever heard that before? We have that little spark of light in ourselves. It's it's good. Well, remember that this is what Satan said to Eve through that medium that he used, the serpent. Genesis 3, verse 4 and 5. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods. You're going to live on a higher plane. See? Knowing good and evil, you shall be as gods. So the devil told Eve that she would be elevated to a higher plane of wisdom and understanding. She'd actually become a God herself. God, God wants to keep you from doing that, see? He's bad. And amazingly, the lie shared and accepted so long ago can be seen in most all religions of the world today. Spiritualism's main definition that I read before is that communication is carried on between the living and the dead. But can the dead really return to communicate with the living? What does the Bible say? It's interesting. I, I read an article, you know, talking about this time of year here and, and the celebration of the dead. I read an article where in, and I'm thinking it's South Korea, they have schools where, where people or students that are dealing with depression and have suicidal thoughts and tendencies, they send them to these schools. And the, school, the whole purpose of this school is to simulate death for them. They sit in a classroom and they're told about, you know, the state of the world and and, and these things, and then they, they have coffins next to their desks. They get in their desk, they sign a will as if they're dying. They go through all these things as if they're dying. They have a funeral. They are put in their coffin and they spend time in that coffin and they can still hear their teacher and they're to contemplate the good things that, that has happened in their life. Isn't that remarkable? Yeah, weird. The interesting thing, too, is that when they come out of these coffins, you know, half of them are rejoicing about life. The other half are just terrified. <laughs> it's strange, this culture of death and the dead, the celebration of it and, and to understand it. People want to know what happens when you die. Now, why would people want to get in a coffin like that if they think when you die, you go to a higher plane? If people really believed, there would be mass suicide all over the world, wouldn't there? I would think. If the people actually deep down in their heart believed that you went to a higher plane, why wouldn't you put yourself to death to go to the higher plane? Yeah, it's like, you know, it's like uh, there are very, actually very few real atheists in the world. You see, God puts that little Holy Spirit you know, within everybody to talk to them. Even if they profess to be an atheist, he's working on their heart. So there's always that little doubt, see? There's always that little doubt. Maybe very little, but there's always, it's there somewhere, and God will use that. So what's the Bible say about speaking to the dead? Job 7 and verses 9 and 10, As the cloud is consumed and vanisheth away, so he that goeth down to the grave shall come up no more. He shall return no more to his house, neither shall his place know him any more. Ecclesiastes 9 verses 5 and 6, For the living know that they shall die, but the dead, what? They know not anything. Neither have they any more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. They're not laying, as these students were, in a coffin thinking about what's going on. 
He says also their love and their hatred and their envy is now perished. Neither have they any more portion forever in anything that is done under the sun. They're resting. Psalms 146 verse 4. His breath goeth forth, he returneth to his earth. In that very day his thoughts perish. And what about all the related forms of occultism whose influences seem to intertwine you know, with every existing social, social structure of mankind today? You know, Satanism, witchcraft, ESP, NLP, hypnotism, Zen, you know, astrology, voodoo, dozen other so-called mind sciences that purport to bring happiness and success beyond imagination. Hundreds of churches, friends, including Adventist churches, train their pastors in some of these so-called mind sciences. But they are each a form of spiritualism. Never, friends, never, I can't stress it enough, Never give your mind over to someone other than Jesus Christ. Never. No man, no spirit, no one else. Never. When you do that, you've given the devil the opportunity to plant suggestions that will reap sin and forfeit eternal life. That's the goal, remember, our destruction. God gave us a wonderful gift when he created us. Wonderful. It's called a brain. And with that brain, he gave us the freedom to choose. Freedom of will. Never give that freedom to choose that freedom of will over to someone else. Don't do it. The Bible declares that Satan and his angels come to us in many forms. They have great power. They transform themselves into beings of righteousness. For what reason? Why would they transform themselves into beings of righteousness? Can you take a guess? Deceit. They want to trick us. 2 Corinthians 11. This is what Paul says about it. Verse 14 and 15. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Was he an angel of light before? Yes, his very name Lucifer means shining one. So he transforms himself to look like he was before. It takes us off guard, right? Oh, he's an angel of light. You know, when he came to Jesus there in the wilderness, now Jesus knew who he was, didn't he? But he came to him as if he, the Father had sent him to Jesus. He came to Jesus as an angel of light, sent from the throne room of God. what Satan does see he quoted scripture you think if he showed up as he's depicted by some people today you know dark cloak pointed ears and tails and quoted scripture to you are you going to listen to him no does Jesus see him this humanity sees him is he going to listen to him no he comes as an angel of light in order to deceive. He quotes Scripture as an angel of light, but I should say he misquotes Scripture or he uses it out of context or he leaves some of it out. Paul says, Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. So Satan, again, he was once an angel of light. Lucifer, shining one. And rebellion against God actually transformed him into an angel of darkness. And the angels who sided with him, they took up their abode with him as angels of darkness. And as Satan deceives, so do his representatives. He's not the only one doing the work. In the sight of heaven, there can be nothing more heinous then for professing ministers of Christ to serve as agents of Satan. If I profess I'm a minister of the gospel, yet I'm performing the works of Satan, I can't imagine anything worse. Look at Paul. Paul was killing God's people as Saul. Do you think he believed there was anything worse than that? 
he actually had a problem getting rid of that guilt. He said, I'm the of sinners, I'm the chief. I was putting God's people to death. You know, but how do you tell the difference? Often they can be known only by their fruits. As Jesus said, by their fruits she shall know them. Sometimes it may take a while for that fruit to develop. There is great admonition and warning in God's word to those who, who would think to consult with these demons masquerading as maybe former loved ones or friends. It's so abhorrent to God that he instructed the Israelites to put to death anyone who dabbled in spiritualism. They were to be put to death. Leviticus 20 verse 27 says, A man also or a woman that hath a familiar spirit, or that is a wizard, shall surely be put to death. They shall stone them with stones. Their blood shall be upon them. Now, Christians are not under a theocracy here on earth anymore, are we? But we are still bound by the counsel and principles of God, right? We're to stay away from such people who practice spiritualism in any of its forms because it always leads to disbelief. It will always lead you to eternal death, the loss of salvation. There are different phases of you know, uh, demon spirit work that are named by Scripture. And they're all forms of spiritualism. There's a whole list in Deuteronomy 18. Verse 10 says, There shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire. Have you heard that before? Fire was worshipped as a god. And, and people burned their children in homage to it. And, and often they called him Molech. And there'd be a big statue of Molech and they had it set up. There'd be a fire in the midst of him. They had arms that would come down and you put your beautiful baby on that arm and you sacrifice him as he flips up and throws him into the flames. What did God say? There shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or his daughter pass through the fire. Or that useth divination. That's predicting the future by casting lots. I tell you, you go through Deuteronomy 18 here and you see a lot of this stuff active today in one form or another. Or an observer of times. That's a person who predicts the future from you know the aspects of the, the, the planets or eclipses. Or back then it was the motion of the clouds. They didn't have Doppler 2015. He says, or an enchanter. That's a person who made predictions based upon the, the entrails of beasts or the flight of birds or uh, the action of serpents and just things of nature. Animals, mainly. Or a witch. Well, yeah, of course we say, oh yeah, a witch. That's someone who uses drugs or perfumes or plants to cast spells. That's called witchcraft. It's made fun of today, isn't it? Especially this time of year. Oh, what are you going to go as for Halloween? I think I'll go as a witch. <laughs> Is God laughing? I don't think so. People are ignorant of it, aren't they? They just don't know. He goes on, he says, or a charmer. That's one who wore magic cords as a spell or tied knots to predict the future. I've actually seen that in some years ago in some movies. These guys that are dressed up almost like druids and they had these cords that they'd tie knots in and they would use that to supposedly prophesy and predict. I thought that's very strange. He says, or a consulter with familiar spirits. That's a spiritual medium or someone who channels spirits, supposedly, see. Or a wizard. Well, a wizard's a male witch. Or a conjurer comes up with spells. You know, Merlin. You've heard about Merlin and, and uh, King Arthur. Um, a necromancer. That's someone who consults with the dead. So here's a list that God's given to Israel. 
Now that was just for Israel. That's the Old Testament was done away with, right? There's no principles involved at all that we can glean out of the Old Testament, right? Jesus changed all of it at the cross, right? Did the devil die at the cross too? Did all these demon angels die? They're no longer around? No. He says, For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord. All that, you know, Jesus, He changed that definition of the word abomination when He died on the cross. It's no longer an abomination. Yeah, it is. F.F. Morse wrote in his book, Practical Occultism, page 85, the phenomenal aspect of modern spiritualism reproduces all essential principles of the magic, witchcraft, and sorcery of the past. The same powers are involved, the same intelligences are operating. Today, it's just more fashionable. It's a little bit more deceptive, see? But it's the same power. The same thing going on as in the past. And so I'll warn you, friends, that spiritualism pervades a lot of our culture today, especially every form of media today. So we must be vigilant in what forms we allow into our homes or with the advancement of technology, our smartphones, you know? or on our person. If we aren't following right principles, we'll be deceived before it's all said and done. That's the thing about it. Now, I'm not saying throw out all technology from your life. (laughs) Okay? But be prepared. Use it correctly. Satan uses it for our destruction. We can use it for good. Jesus said in John 17, verse 15, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. See? Millions today are turning to modern sorcery and spiritualism for the answers to their problems. Even some great church organizations declare this as a way of truth. I want to take a moment and look at what I believe to be one of the deadliest revelations of spiritualism today. I mentioned it earlier. And that's the so-called apparition of the Virgin Mary. It was in the year 1854 A.D. when the Roman Catholic Church came out with the dogma of the Immaculate Conception. And what they did was they lifted Mary up to the same status as Jesus. As one who was born without the taint of original sin. Pope Pius the Ninth said in 1854, he said, Through the centuries the church has become ever more aware getting better all the time, right? Ever more aware that Mary, full of grace through God, was redeemed from the moment of her conception. That's what he said. And so this dogma is preparing the world for, I believe, one of the greatest end time deceptions. The counterfeit second coming of Jesus by Satan himself. Mary's being used to reach all the world's religions to pull them into this deception. It was in Fatima, Portugal, 1917, when this demon angel began to make its appearances. And who did he appear to first? Do you know? Children. Children, exactly. Why? It's more easy to deceive children, isn't it? You know, Deb says, you know, they used to go through what they called in-gathering. You go door to door. And you're asking for donations to help with evangelism and different things. And what was one of the tricks that they would do? They would take their little kids with them to knock on the door. Why? Because kids, we have a soft spot in our heart for children, don't we? Well, the devil uses that. He uses it for, for unrighteous purposes, Right? At first, the demon wouldn't say who it was, but later professed to be the Blessed Virgin Mary. Here's a recollection of one of the apparitions. This is from, and there are dozens of Fatima websites if you get on the internet. (laughs) 
This is from one of them. It says, as the lady of the rosary rises toward the east. Now, this was in 1917, remember. She turns the palms of her hands toward the dark sun. While the rain had stopped, dark clouds continue to obscure the sun, which suddenly bursts through them and is seen to be a soft spinning disk of silver. From this point, two distinct apparitions were seen. That of the phenomenon of the sun, seen by the 70,000 or so spectators, and that beheld by the children alone. Here's a newspaper account. This is from the Lisbon paper. It said, From the road where the vehicles were parked and where hundreds of people who had not dared to brave the mud were congregated, one could see the immense multitude turn toward the sun. Isn't that interesting? Turn towards the sun. Why would the devil use the sun in a miracle? The gospel's not rocket science, friends. It's not. One could see the immense multitude turn toward the sun, which appeared free from clouds and in its zenith. It looked like a plaque of dull silver, and it was possible to look at it without the least discomfort. It might have been an eclipse that was taking place. But at that, remember, this is a newspaper account, a reporter writing this. But at that moment, a great shout went up, and one could hear the spectators nearest at hand shouting, A miracle! A miracle! Before the astonished eyes of the crowd, whose aspect was biblical, (laughs) as they stood bareheaded, eagerly searching the sky, the sun trembled, made sudden incredible movements outside of all cosmic laws. The sun danced according to the typical expression of the people. Is this really, really an act of God? Is this really the Virgin Mary? Did the sun really dance? Now, think about that. God had done miracles with the sun before, you could say. He stopped time, didn't he? Right? You think the devil will use, doesn't he use stuff from the Bible? To deceive? Yes. But the Bible defines this apparition, Mary, to be a demon angel, closed in it as an angel of light. But these apparitions began in a powerful way in Fatima and have since deceived thousands of people, if not millions of people, into seeking Mary as their Redeemer instead of Jesus. They've lifted her up to co-Redeemer. And I believe that these apparitions are laying the groundwork for that great final deception. And it's, it's no secret that the Vatican proclaims its love and loyalty to this demon calling itself the Virgin Mary. I mean, Pope John Paul II was the most vocal in the call for Mary as a co-redeemer. Pope John Paul has dedicated himself and his pontificate to Our Lady. He, bear, he bore the letter M for Mary in his coat of arms. And his personal motto, which is embroidered on the side of all the robes that he used to wear, of course he's dead now, they're they're trying to make him a saint. Did they already do that? Yeah. But embroidered on his robe was totus tua sum Maria, which in English means Mary, I'm all yours. He even said this, membership in the militia means complete dedication to the kingdom of God and to the salvation of souls through Mary Immaculate. That was what Pope John Paul II said. Not Jesus Christ. Acts 4 and verse 12 tells us what? There's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And that name is Jesus Christ. Most religions of the world hold Mary, though, in high regard, and some, in fact, acknowledge her as the Queen of Heaven. Have you heard that expression? I know Russ has. The Queen of Heaven. Even Muslims have the Queen of Heaven. Fatima. Fatima, exactly. (laughs) 
This is the same title that was given to the false goddess Ishtar, known as Easter. You see how these things, they all come in here, Isis, Osiris, they all come together, see? These apparitions of the cloak demon are helping to bring all these religions into the fold of the Roman Catholic Church, that one world religion that was the goal of Satan. See? The beginning. He believes he owns the world. He doesn't believe Jesus took it back when he died at the cross, was resurrected. And the Vatican continually gives its full support for these apparitions, but... But such forms of spiritualism, they're not limited to the Catholic Church. Uh, Many well-known Protestant ministers, Chuck Colson, he sees absolutely nothing wrong with spiritualism. Now, he doesn't come out and say that, but by their fruits, remember? By their fruits, you shall know them. Notice his remarks. This is concerning the Harry Potter books and movies. He said, when your kids finish reading Harry Potter, give them C.S. Lewis's Narnia books and J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings trilogy. These books also feature wizards and and witches and magical potions, but in addition, they inspire the imagination within a Christian framework. Really? And prepare the hearts of readers for the real-life story of, of Christ. That's what Chuck Colson said. He doesn't know his Bible. Colson presented Potter's satanic practices as, quote, purely mechanical as opposed to occultic. That is, Harry and his friends cast spells, they read crystal balls, and turn themselves into animals, but they don't make contact with a supernatural world. Really? So do we actually turn ourselves into these things that's just normal? Wow. Now, the Pope and Chuck Colson may not see much wrong with such spiritualism, but how does God regard all these things? That should be our question, right? Deuteronomy 18, 12 again. For all that do these things are what? An abomination unto the Lord. Chuck must have missed that in seminary class somewhere. The Bible makes it very clear, friends, that people who practice spiritualism will not enter into the kingdom of God. Revelation 21, verse 8. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable, the what? The abominable. And murderers and whoremongers and, hey, there's the word, sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Revelation 22, verses 14 and 15. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city, for without are dogs and sorcerers. Oh, the poor dogs. That's not really what's been spoken there. That means the filthy Gentile. For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. So the Bible actually is very clear, isn't it? These spirits and apparitions are indeed real. They are real. Don't mistake that. But they are not from the Almighty. And they are not departed loved ones speaking from the grave. They're demon spirits. And God says that our, our volunteered involvement with them is an abomination. You know, when I was a kid growing up in battleground area and we go to town stuff, you never saw, never, I don't remember ever growing up, a palm reader or medium in Lafayette anywhere. Now there's four or five. You, you, find, you can go pay them and you go in. And then you just have it right in your, in your living room with your television. You have it in your purse or your pocket with your iPhone. You can go right. Incredible, isn't it? But how do you know a false spirit from a true one? The Bible tells us in Isaiah 8, verses 19 and 20. It says, And when they shall say unto you, Seek unto them that have familiar spirits, and unto wizards that peep. That's interesting, that peep. 
That, that is the Hebrew word safaf, and it means to chirp or to whisper. The mediums in those days, and described with the word, it says that the mediums spoke in a lisping whisper. And they, they were called whisperers. Hey, come here. You know that's what Satan did in heaven? He talked to the angels and go, Psst. And then you go over to another one and say, you know what that angel just told me about so-and-so? He's a whisperer. Wizards that peep. Wizards that peep and that mutter. Should not a people seek unto their God? For the living to the dead? And then we're given counsel to the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, it's because there is... You know, a little light in them. There's no light in them. God says, get away from them. Don't have anything to do with them. And so Isaiah, he's directing men away from the words and the wisdom of devils and men to the revealed wisdom of God. That's what he's saying. The prophets of God were his witnesses or spokesmen. And the testimony they bore was his message of wisdom and life. Isaiah here directs men to the word of God as the standard of truth and the guide to right living. Because why? God has revealed himself in his word. If they speak contrary to the Ten Commandments and the inspired testimonies of the prophets, there's no light in them. This is what Isaiah is saying. So make no mistake, friends. We're talking about very powerful creatures and these spirits will perform miracles. They will perform signs and wonders. If they contradict the inspired word of God, they contradict his commandments, we'll know that they are demons, that they're fallen angels. What must we do if we are personally involved with such things? What if our church endorses such abominations? Well, God gives us incredible promises that may be ours. James 4, verses 7 and 8. James says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. That's the first thing to do. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. First, submit yourself to God. Second, resist the devil. Will the devil hang around? Nope, he'll flee. Draw nigh to God. That's draw close to God and he will draw close to you. Manuscript Release, Volume 10, page 186. Let all who have been listening to seducing fables stop right where they are. The Lord has guarded and kept them and He will be a father to them if they will act as obedient children. So don't continue it. Stop. That's what you can do. And before I close, a warning to those in the Christian denominational churches, administer not. Spiritualism is within your ranks. How, you ask? <laughs> we know that there's not an immortal soul. The Bible says that. We know that the dead are asleep in, until the resurrection. That's what the Bible says, doesn't it? We know that Satan exists, do we not? How can it exist in our church? Let me share this with you. Spirit of Prophecy, Volume 4, page 405. Spiritualism is now changing its form, veiling some of its more objectionable and immoral features and assuming a Christian guise. Formerly, it denounced Christ in the Bible. Now it professes to accept both. The Bible is interpreted in a manner that is attractive to the unrenewed heart. That's another way of saying someone who is unconverted. It's attractive to them. While its solemn and vital truths are made of no effect. A God of love is presented. But his justice, his denunciations of sin, the requirements of his holy law are all kept out of sight. What's the Pope? Pope came over and talked to the charismatics and what he say? Let's put aside all our differences. And let's concentrate on the love of God should be red flags popping up. She says, Pleasing, bewitching fables 
captivate the senses of those who do not make God's word the foundation of their faith. Christ is as verily rejected as before, but Satan has so blinded the eyes of the people that the deception is not discerned. The belief, friends, that the law of God was nailed to the cross, that you are born a sinner and cannot stop, Uh, that all you have to do is love each other, that your character will be changed at the second coming, and on and on and on, in like manner, is found in virtually all denominational churches, is it not? And it testifies to the existence of spiritualism then in their ranks, because it's taught from the pulpit. But there's only one safe path to take. 2 Corinthians 6, Paul said in verse 17, he said, Wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. People forget that one. (laughs) And I will receive you and will be a father unto you and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. That's what God's calling. He's calling his people. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I'll share this last thing. This is an article out of Signs of the Times. It was entitled Spiritualism, the Masterpiece of Deception. What love, what wonderful love that God bears with the perversity of his people and sends help to every soul that desires to do his will and forsake sin. If man will but cooperate with the agencies of heaven, he may come off more than a Fallen creatures as we are, capable of the most revolting crimes, yet we may become victors through the power of the grace of Christ and have a place in His everlasting kingdom to reign with Him forever. There's hope, isn't there? How did old Sini Brooks end his evangelistic series meetings? You remember us? There's hope for you. He had a poem written for every one of his meetings and it began, there's hope for you. And he's right. There's hope for us, isn't there? Let us draw nigh to God today. Let us forsake sin. And in so doing, we will not be deceived, friends, by these rulers of darkness. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your undying love for each one of us. We are so very thankful that we have this hope, this hope that Jesus provides, that we may be overcomers, that we may see these evil rulers of darkness for what they are and run to the cross and run to Jesus and and be saved. We are so thankful that we have these angels that you've created, these angels of righteousness that you send to this earth to minister to us, protect us, keep us safe, help us along our pathway, the narrow way to the kingdom. We pray that you'll continue to bless them in their work. And we're thankful for Jesus who died that we may live. We thank you for your holy word that describes these things and help us to have discernment. And not just discernment, but a love for each other, a love for the the lost, that we may share these truths with them, that they too may share in the eternal kingdom. Please continue to be with us on this most holy day, we pray in Jesus' name.